Welcome to the Success ID podcast, a podcast inviting leading thinkers, practitioners and contrarians to discuss ways to lead yourself and others successfully. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallace and on this week's show we look at teamwork as success with leadership coach and teamwork expert Dr. Sue Fontanaz. So it's my great pleasure and a genuine delight to introduce a very good friend of mine who also happens to be an expert in all things team-related, uh, team coaching and leadership within teams, um, Dr. Sue Fontanaz. And it's a great delight, Sue, to have you on board. Thank you very much for joining us on the Success ID podcast. Well, thanks. I mean, it's, a, it's really great to be chatting about the topic. Um, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, I have a question mark about the expert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm very happy to chat about teams and... and well, yes. You've already displayed a, a great trait for me of you know incredible leadership, which is humility, right there. So uh, we're, we're clearly going to get we're gonna, clearly going to get along. Um, look, we asked this question, Sue, of, of all um, guests when they first come on as a kind of way to kick off, which is, <clears throat> um, what case would you make with all the experience and, and knowledge that you've got? What case would you make for teamwork as success? You know, the podcast is aimed at leaders in the broadest sense, you know, they might be leading themselves, they might be leading a family, people might be leading a team, they might be leading a church, might be leading a community. You know, what role has teamwork, really good teamwork got, do you think, um, in successfully leading self and others? What, what case would you make for that? I think in, in today's world where it's becoming a lot more complex and uncertain, I think teams, they give you a sense of courage to confront um, the uncertainty and when it's quite ambiguous and you're not really sure where you're going. I think um, one of my experiences was I was lucky enough to go on the on a leg on the clipper around the world sailing race, which is I'd never been on a boat before. And I joined the the team in Rio and I was probably quite naive about sailing and how big the sea can get and sort of my way of preparing is let me just bury my head in the sand and and go and do it so I jumped on the on board and we had had a bit of training before but um, not not to the extent of crossing an ocean and the thing that really got me through was having other people with me and being able to help each other and and some days when you woke up and you really thought that you couldn't do another six-hour shift in wet boots and rain and whatever, um, just looking across at some of your crew, you know, who are good friends and realizing that they might be in the same position and actually just sort of reaching out a bit and helping each other, I mean, it, it really got us through some tough times. And I think for me that's that's been a valuable learning experience of, Whenever I'm up against something which is um, quite daunting and I don't have the confidence, I always look around to see who who I can team up with because I think it just gives you a lot more courage. Well, that, actually, that, that wasn't the answer I thought we were going to give, so that's really interesting. <laughs> because it, 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 and, and actually, it's not the answer you often might, might typically get, I think, and perhaps that's where some of my assumptions were coming from so I'd really love to dig into some of those 
those points. I really like the idea. Now, so I'm going to declare, you and I have spoken um, off air about this. I, I'm going to declare my, my lack of complete conviction about the idea of a team um, for a number of reasons. One of which is I'm fiercely independent. Um, I think as I've got older, I recognise absolutely that nothing is nothing sort of of real value is done, you know, ever done on your own. Even though you might think you're independent, there is always touches other people, right? But but let, let's kick off by by helping the audience understand. For you, when we talk about a team, um, as opposed to say a group, what 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 is it that defines something as a team rather than just a group of individuals? It's a really good question. So when I was uh, studying an MBA a while ago, and I would say our first group was a group because, mm. um, and I'm just reflecting on it because I also thought I'm much better working on my own and I hate all the sitting around and negotiating what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I, it took me a while to get into working in groups um, and as we sort of progressed with the studies, we developed a, a, a different team. And it was, I think it, the difference between a team and a group is the relationship within the team. Right. Um, that you really want to, um, you want to achieve something more than just what's in it for you. Uh -huh. Whereas a group can come together and it can be quite independent and, and you're still looking, I think, at um, your individual objective, whereas with a team, you're willing to to go the extra mile, even when it's when your sort of independent objective might not be met. But you understand that you know it's worthwhile because it's bigger than all of you. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So there's something about the commonality of either, I guess, an outcome or a purpose that you might pursue. Um, not necessarily in, in complete absence of your own agenda, but, but that is your agenda. Um, and that's the, mo that's the focus rather than what you might want to achieve as an individual. If, would that be? Yeah, I think it, it comes down a lot to that, that feeling. You know, you'll know when you're on a good team, there's nothing better because you have that sense of belonging, sense of even when you're going through tough times, you're thinking, this is hell, but I'm loving it because I'm, I'm part of something mm. you know, and I'm part of something with other people. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm not sure you get that with the group. The group is still at the point of we come together to maybe get something done, but you don't have that sense of belonging, I think. Mm. Um, and that's, look, that's very personal take on teams. Um, and I think we, um, especially, well, I think for myself, I'm always searching for um, a sense of belonging and wanting to do something which is bigger than sort of just just what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so. There's an interesting um, takeaway right there, I guess, for the leaders that are listening to the podcast. And just to reiterate, you know, when when we define leaders. In success idea it's, it's a pretty broad church you know from somebody determined to lead themselves more effectively right way through to a CEO of a multinational and, and everything in between yeah and so I think there's there, there's there there's something about a kind of selflessness um, that might be required to be in a team in combination with some sort of 
uh, objective, let's call it that for now, an objective that you can uh, you can throw your energy behind. So there's a kind of seems like two two important elements for for yeah. being part of a team and it to, and for it to qualify as a team. I don't I don't think it's about selflessness. Um, I think it's about the the sense of belonging and the sense of having a bigger purpose yeah. overrides independent. Um, ego if that maybe that's a different way and also just sorry going back to your point about leaders and whether you're leaning self I think we are all leaders in the sense that you know we have a life and it's it's what we make of our life I'm I'm not a big believer of the leader and the followers I think um, if you take the the sailing example and you think we were you know, we were crew members, but we could also influence or impact the what was going on in the boat. It didn't really matter what our role was in the in the crew. Mm. Um, and maybe an example of that is um, we were part of the older ladies on the boat, and we spent a lot of time looking after the um, sort of the helms who were, you know, at all the action and making it happen and without that balance you know i don't think the helms could be the um sort of the star athlete without the support so so i think we often just look to the skipper or the helmsman or helmswoman and think ah they must be the leaders Mm. but i think we all have a role in leadership yeah and i think just yeah okay so so right let, let, there's loads in there but let's let's, <laughs> let, let's dig in some real examples then so how did how, so from your experience i know you're also um developing some team coaching work um using yeah. rowing as an example so yeah. how do leaders how could leaders go about in your you know and, and please bring in some some experiences that you know some specific examples from from the work you've done because you, you tell a lovely story about that that both um, arenas, I think. How, how does would, an, would a leader go about setting up a team, building that sense of belonging and trust, you know, and and developing those, developing that real bond that you've described? Um, I can understand why it might be doable crossing the ocean because <laughs> it's a kind of an extremist. Um, yeah. What what lessons could could leaders take from what you've observed and what you've written about? Oh, it's a really good question. So. So if you look at a rowing boat, um, one of the questions I ask is, so who's the leader in the boat? Is it the coach or the cox that tells everyone where to go and, and directs the boat? Or is it the person who sets the tempo? And in fact, for every, every seat in the boat, there's a very specific role of what that person needs to do. So in... I would think in bringing a new team together is to have a conversation about how each of us lead within the team. Um, so it's not so much I'm the manager and you are the the crew or mm. the, you're in the boat. I think if each of us is recognized for what we bring to the, the team, it it sort of encourages a sense of leadership throughout the team. I think that's really important to take the pressure off if you're the team manager, because often people just look to the team manager and assign all the blame for when things go wrong. 
Yeah. But it's, you know, it's so much more than the team manager. So, you know, it's how, how do we work together? And it's, it's not up to the team manager to be sort of the arbitrator on all the dynamics that are going on, all the arguments. I think it's up to each of us to, to step forward and say, well, this is, this is how I can take the lead in this position. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, it really does. And, and I, I love that idea that, um, that actually not, and I, you've described it in a, in a diff, slightly different way from how I've heard it before. So, you know, we'll often hear people talk about, you know, everybody's a leader in the team. And I, and I, I think the principles kind of where you were going, but what I really liked was the additional thought that it's not the leader's job <laughs> to encourage everybody else to lead, you know, role clarity seemed to be really important from what you just said. You know, and yeah. some of that role is recognizing when it is your turn to do your leading. And you don't, there's no, don't wait for a title, don't wait for permission. You, we've agreed what that role is. And we've agreed that there will be times when you will need to step up and, and lead in that, within that role or within that um, sort of range of responsibilities. And also, I think one of the points from, from the rowing is <clears throat> when you have a, a group, you always find that the, there'll be some who are extroverts and sort of want to jump in the boat and row as hard as they can. And then there'll be some who are a little bit more anxious and quieter and want to think it through a bit. And, mm. and you actually, you need both, both sides of the story as such, because if you rush at the job and try and get it done, um, often the wheels fall off. I mean, the boat just doesn't go in the right direction. So by encouraging the different team members to to talk to each other, um, it was one of the stories that uh, Zoe de Toledo, who was the cox for the Olympic silver medalist women's eight, right. um, and she said it was really important to get the crew to talk, to talk to each other, to talk to the cox. And I think she said, to her point of view was, the team actually develops through the conversations that you have. And if you don't have those conversations, the team won't develop into a team. Um, they'll stay an independent group of people. Ah, now that's, so that's really a fascinating view. Would, would your experiences back that, that, that view up? Absolutely. So oh. I think if, if you don't have the conversations early, um, which was one of her ideas as well, have your conversations early and often because mm -hmm. it's not, it's not as if those conversations don't exist. If you don't have the conversation, they tend to go a little bit underground yeah. and then that really undermines the team dynamic and, and breaks down the whole sense of teamwork. Um, you find people nearly fighting each other within the team because you've got this unsaid conversation that hasn't been had. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because the um, the thing that struck me as you were talking there, well, a number of things actually. One was um, the early, you know, start the conversations early and have them often. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I'm sure you'd recognise in your own coaching work is sometimes the, the the I might argue that one of the most common outcomes of coaching conversations is that managers decide they're actually going to up the numbers of one-to-one -one conversations or team huddles that they have in order to do, to do exactly what you've just said, you know, because it's very easy to work in silos as unconnected human beings. And, and then I wonder about 
Okay, so so say I'm a leader who where my team is disparate and it's spread out perhaps across the country, perhaps across the globe. How important yep. does that point then become, do you think, for disparate teams and the particular challenges around that? Well, I mean, it is challenging because of the just the technology that you need. Mm. Um, but I do think it's probably more important if you're a virtual team to, to have group conversations. And I mean, I have some question marks about leadership coaching versus team coaching. And I'm, I'm probably coming from the other end of the spectrum where I think all conversations should be in a team coaching space. Now, I know that's a bit provocative, but I think it's really important that teams develop an awareness and understanding of of what how the conversations are being had are they are they open conversations are they sort of courageous about discussing things in a respectful way because um, I think if you're only having one-on-one -on -one conversations between the manager and a team leader yeah. or team member that the manager never gets the opportunity to see how the team interact with each other yeah. and the team never fully ex sort of appreciate what's going on at a team level yeah. does that make sense or not uh, absolutely makes sense and i, and I don't I, I wasn't suggesting that those were in ex those things were necessarily mutually exclusive or one was done at the expense of the other i, I think the point is is that leaders just up the amount of communication because they suddenly realize how detached they are but i think that's a really interesting challenge that you're saying actually that those conversations should almost entirely be in a team context because of the openness that it provides. Um, it's a platform for challenge. I, I, yeah, I could, I could absolutely see that being, being a really good way to go forward. And perhaps that's where we're getting some of these sort of lean methodology kind of scrum, weekly scrums and weekly get togethers. And perhaps that's, that's a way to offset some of that for virtual teams, particularly. Well, it's also just in terms of if, if you have time constraints, by moving more towards a team format, it does allow you to have more conversations more often. Yeah. Because if you're having one-on-one -on -one conversations with each team member and you've got between, say, six to ten team members, yeah. um, that is, um, I'm not saying don't ever have those conversations. I just think if you have them in a team context, the whole team can learn from the experience. Yeah. It's not just the individual that's reporting to the manager. Yeah, and so I really like so so yes, got got that, and and fully, I'm nodding as you were talking because I've got it. It took me two runs at it, but I've got it. <laughs> um, but what I really liked, and I think this is a lovely point for leaders that are listening to think about, which is though in those team environments. It's the team becoming aware, I'm just trying to paraphrase what you said, um, the team becoming aware of how the conversations are being had. Can you, can you speak a little bit more to that? And perhaps if you've got some examples to, to highlight, I think it's a really, really important point for leaders to take away. So I'm just thinking of an example, but I think, I think the, the whole idea of team learning is if we can encourage team learning and an understanding, because often, often teams aren't aware of the way that they are having the conversations. Yeah. So that the problem often isn't in the conversation, it's in the sort of not realizing that these are the conversations and these are the patterns that we always have. Yeah. 
And by just stopping the conversation occasionally and saying, you know, this is what I'm noticing, I think it also allows the team manager to not always be the referee in a, in a conversation. Yeah. Um, as, as the team develops their own um, understanding of, of the patterns, they become a lot more sophisticated and you know, will engage in conversations a lot more courageously. Um, otherwise, it's always, there tends to be a looking towards the team manager to, to sort of referee. Yeah. I know it's not the right word, but it always seems like a spoken wheel where the team manager talks and then the, the one of the team members talks and, and then everyone watches to see what happens. Um, I don't know if, if that's your experience. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've done, a, you know, I've done a fair bit of team coaching over the, over the years. It's not something I spend a lot of time doing, I must be honest, but, but I, I have. And that idea of helping people kind of uh, be able to stay in the conversation, but also sort of step out of the conversation in order to notice, that's quite a sophisticated skill set in my, in my very limited experience. How do, how, does, how do leaders develop that for themselves and for the members of their team? I would, I would really um, think a coach is really worthwhile just to to start the process of of noticing conversations, mm. um, and by having a coach work with the team, the team then also develops their own ability to to notice. Because mm. if you're not aware of something, you can't you are sort of held a bit hostage by those patterns. Whereas if you work with a team coach and you start to notice, I think the team can very quickly develop their own um, awareness and and catch themselves when they're falling into old patterns because you can't expect the team to grow and learn if they're stuck in old patterns. So I think the, the coach becomes a catalyst to say, well, let's let's look at how we're working instead of just having the same old conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when that's you, you, a couple of times I've managed to work with teams to do that. You see a real shift, don't you? Well, again, I only can I speak to my experience, but is it? Would you recognise that? That's a real shift in the team's capability suddenly because it's both focusing on the content and also the way that it's doing what it's doing, and I think that that can give a real sort of transformational shift to performance. I think. So often we're so busy performing and focusing on getting the job done that we don't take time out to reflect on how we're working. So mm. if you compare it, I like the sort of comparing to the, corp- or the idea of the corporate athlete and that you would never expect an athlete just to perform without um, doing the preparation and the training. Whereas mm. in a business context, Leaders are always just at the edge of performance all the time. And if they want to hone their skills, they need to sort of take a step back and just reflect and recover from that sort of constant performance drive and go, is there a better way that we could be doing this? Mm. Um, And I think by by bringing in a team coach to a team, um, it encourages them to start putting those pause buttons in to say, let's just reflect on, on how we're working. And maybe, maybe an example to illustrate 
um, is going back to the rowing example where what I found really interesting is each person that comes off the boat has a completely different perspective of, of the rowing and how they experienced it. And, and if you use that idea to say to teams, we each have a part of the story, a bit like if you were building a puzzle. So if we came together and sort of shared our view of what's going on, um, only by each of us sharing the view can we build the puzzle. You know, otherwise, we, we each sort of just carry our little piece of the puzzle and we think that's reality or the truth, yeah. but it's our perception of the truth. Yes, and often coloured by our own lens that we're looking through, you know, maybe our own biases or our own agenda that's, that's, that sort of looks for validating that view rather than necessarily being genuinely open as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because I think, I mean, we each, we grow from experience and we use our experiences, our past experience, to make sense of the world. So, so it's natural that we're going to come to the, to the team table with one view of what's actually going on. Yeah. And I think if we share, if we share our stories, we realize that, you know, in a complex world, we, we far more intelligent if we sort of um, combine our intelligences and have a like collective intelligence rather than thinking we know all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and that, that there's, I think the, the lovely phrase that you just used, you know, is, is hitting the pause button so that, you know, the whole team can take a moment to sort of notice what's going on. And that's been a bit of a theme through these podcasts when we, when we've talked about, you know, different areas of performance. And, and when you then put that into the context of just how busy and the pace um, mm. of um, working life or whatever that working context is, you know, it, that that has to be a consciously built-in part of you know the way that the team works, I guess, in order for it to create time to do that um, and to do it very discreetly, rather than just hope that it's going to happen. Because I think it's too easy for then everybody just to get wrapped up in that. It's all about output delivery, da 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 da, da and we don't take the time to reflect. I think I mean exactly that. We, I'm I'm a bit anti the whole like resilience buzzword because I think well how resilient do I have to be before mm. I sort of burn out yeah. um, and the idea of building in pauses which is it's part of your growth and development it's just taking time to say okay well we've done this how's it working and it, I mean I think it builds a lot of confidence within the team and that if you don't take time out to sort of appreciate how far you've come along the way yeah. Um, then you won't have the resilience to keep going. But if you just sort of hit the pause button and say, okay, you know, guys, we might not be there yet, but we have, you know, this is how far we've come and this is, we're on track and we're heading in the right direction. I think builds a huge amount of confidence in a team. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, love, I think that's a really, really important point. I'm hoping that that's landed with people because, you know, we can keep hearing the message about the pace and the speed and the rate and the, the rate of change that's going on and, and I, if people aren't going to make a conscious effort to to do what you've just said I, I don't think things will change if you want to if there are leaders out there listening and thinking about the where their team is it's having the courage which is a thing I would just want to come back to by the way which was your initial answer but it's having the courage to just take your eye off output mode for a moment and reflect on 
how we're doing what we're doing because if you spend a little bit of time on that on a regular basis then actually the output is much more likely to look after itself you talked i know when we were we were discussing this earlier on about you know the difference between performance and winning so it's kind of um process versus output i guess and and i think there is a bit of a blend there of you know obviously the more that you can reflect and develop performance then the greater likelihood or certainty you've got of producing the results that you need yeah just i think going back to the corporate athlete or elite athlete idea is that if you really want to perform at peak i mean the athletes all take time out to recover they're not relentlessly performing they're taking time out so recovery is a huge theme in in any sport and also um practicing and and that focus on developing mm. you can't get the peak performance without putting the development in and taking time to recover and think about how you're working yeah and i think we've lost that a little bit in business it's just it's like we think that we are um i don't know machines that we can just keep going at 110 yeah. kilometers or whatever um and i think I think we something the other day um, so a model that you'll be familiar with which is the sort of single and double loop learning kind of idea and you know the single yeah. loop being the kind of thermostat and once the temperature gets to a certain point the thermostat shuts off and that's just a single feedback loop you know but actually if you really yeah. want to learn and develop there's that idea of thinking about how you're doing what you're doing not just you know input output and and I think there is a you that you're speaking clearly to that to that theme and and again I hope we've really landed that message because it's it's been a regular theme on this podcast and guests that have come on from all sorts of walks of life talking about all sorts of things is the importance of that and and i'm i'm hoping we're landing it uh, you know and i think if people go away from this this podcast thinking okay i'm really going to commit to finding some time to do that whether it's for personal as you said brother personal development personal growth or the growth of the team yeah, it's a really important point to, to land Let, can i can i circle back to yeah. the answer that you gave me um almost to the very first question which i was surprised about and delight and therefore particularly delighted by you know um what is it that a team brings you know what what's what is it why is a team important and you said actually it, it gives people a sense of courage and certainty um certainty i can kind of get courage i was surprised by and i'd, I'd love to hear some more about um your reflections on the courage piece within a team, what it takes to be able to display that, what you need, those kind of qualities would be really interesting. I just, I mean, I think right back to when we were kids um, and if it was dark and we were sort of going, going around and checking things out, um, it always seemed, I always seemed braver when I had my friends with me. I would go and do things that I would never do on my own. Right. And I think... I think for leaders, I mean, I did a lot of research with the skippers and the skippers who did really well in the boat or on the race um, managed to sort of bridge the divide between them and the crew and, and create a sense that leadership is a team sport. It's not just up to the skipper to, to set the direction and make all the decisions. So... I think the leader invited the crew to step up, which sort of invited courage from the crew. And I think by having, having the crew, having that support from the crew, um, those leaders were able to make more courageous decisions. Um, 
they felt supported. There was a sense of belonging in the crews. And I think that empowered the, the team leaders or the skippers to, to be a lot braver, whereas some of the other skippers, I mean, they really struggled with resilience because they didn't have that support. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crews sort of just sat back and, and waited for the skipper to, to fix everything. And I think, you know, in this, this world, we're in it together. Um, I think about the politics a lot, and I think we're, we're all in this together, and we need to work together at, at coming up with solutions. So I think that, that gives us courage. Yeah, how, how's that going right now? <laughs> let's not go there. Let's just no, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. Let's just. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I'm excited to see uh, there are a lot of youngsters out there that are really interested in politics. Yeah. Which I think is the first. Mm. Um, well, not a first. Um, I just think they are far more informed and and wanting to make a difference, whether it's climate change or whether it's getting involved in and not just relying on some leader um, to lead us down the garden path. I think it's more about that idea of all stepping up and being courageous together. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the, that's, that's the point I just want to pick up on because I I really like that idea that, um, well, I I, I love the phrase leadership is a team sport. So I I think that's, that's something that we can definitely take away again as a, as a really, and another useful insight and a nice paraphrase, I guess, of your, idea from earlier on about you know um sort of disparate or diffused leadership that idea that everybody's in it together and i could see why that would make the leader more courageous because they know that they've got the support of their team what about the impacts on sort of courage from within how does how does that dynamic work um what are the impacts of you know a greater willingness to to uh, and there's a particular reason for me asking you this question but you know the, the greater courage from within how does, how does this play into that? And, and the reason that I say that is because a number of teams that I've worked with suffer from that, that uh, recognisable trait of kind of artificial harmony, where people will, not my phrase, by the way, it's not an original, but yeah. that, that idea of we won't say anything because we don't, excuse the pun, don't want to rock the boat, but we, we, you know, or we don't want to offend people or we don't want to seem rude or aggressive. And, and how, so how does, how does this kind of sense of team and group leadership of a team impact the courage from within and, and how, how can we foster that as leaders? It's a really good question. Um, I think courage comes from sort of getting out of our comfort zone. Mm. Um, it's quite a big theme in the books I'm reading at the moment. But if we want to grow, we just, we just have to step out of what makes us comfortable. Mm. And I think if we want to change the conversations, because I've been in those conversations where you just you don't want to say what what really needs to be said because you think I don't lift my head above the parapet. But the consequences of not doing it are often just not worth staying in your comfort zone. So I think it it's I think you have to build up towards courage. So you have to challenge yourself to sort of step out in smaller steps, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, for me, the, the sailing race was a huge step out of my comfort zone. Um, and I really was quite anxious and going back to teamwork is I was really lucky because a friend of mine had phoned me a 
about a week before when I wasn't anxious at all and said, I really don't think I can do this race. And I said, oh, no, don't be silly. We'll go for lunch and it'll all be fine. And then we went for lunch and I came back from the lunch and I sort of had the same experience. I was, I'm obviously a bit slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by, by sharing anxiety and, and sharing that we, I mean, we're all human. So mm-hmm. I think that builds courage. You know, if you, if you have a bit of vulnerability and say, look, I'm finding this quite hard, and I know it's quite tricky to go to your manager who's probably demanding results from you and saying, look, I'm finding this quite hard. But I think if you can think about the way you have the conversation and the way you stretch yourself, it does, it does um, develop that confidence that you, you know, your, your zone of things that you can do just broadens so quickly when you step out of your comfort zone. And the, the problem is if you stay in your comfort zone, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you don't want to take any chances. Yeah, and <clears throat> I guess if I'm a leader of a team listening to, to that, which, with which I agree 100%, by the way, um, in fact, on a recent Success ID uh, webinar, David Pilbeam talked about sort of working at your growth edge and, and putting yeah. yourself out there um, often so that you can grow and develop. And I think that's true of individuals and of teams. If I'm a leader of a team, what might that look like, I guess, um, if I'm sort of encouraging the team or thinking about putting people on different projects and things, what, what consideration might I give to sort of stretch versus breaking, putting people in the right space for the right amount of stretch, growth, that kind of thing? Um, when, you, when you think about how roles would just, you, you talked really clearly early on and, and a, a very important point for us to all take away about clarity of role, but how, might, how did leaders on the boats or in the rowing kind of a sort of um, distribute tasks and roles in order to get and keep people at that sort of growth edge? I think talking to this point, I was reading, and I can't remember the book now, but they were talking about um, safe to fail um, sort of guidelines, um, guide poles, rather than fail safe. So I think as a team leaders, how do you set up projects where the team are allowed to fail to but within sort of within boundaries yeah because you know there's argument that if you want innovation you're going to have to accept some failure because you can't have the one without the other but i think if you do smaller experiments which are safe to fail you learn a lot quicker yeah i think it's also the whole concept of changing how we see failure is is looking at failure as what have we learned? You know, what is this teaching us? Because uh, people are really anxious about failure, but failure is the way we learn often. Mm. Um, and it, it's a really valuable sort of learning space. That's so cool. And, and, and again, I think that, that, that there's some language there, which again, I'm sure audiences can look into that idea of you know, running experiments creating smaller opportunities, you know, smaller projects or smaller tasks where people, where it's sort of safe to fail, you know, within those, you know, a much more sort of constrained space. I I think that's such a cool idea because it's too big a risk to go all out on, in in many organisations, not all, but in many organisations, it's too big a risk, isn't it, to, 
you know, to, to bet the, the house on it with no safety net, you know, or to put people in places where actually they are, there's a 50, 50% of them failing. That's just not going to fly um, in many organisations. But, but creating a culture in a team where it's okay, we see it as learning, um, and it's man- It's well, I think that's the point, it's well managed, is absolutely the right way to do that. Yeah, yeah I think it, it ties back to Jim Collins um, had a, an idea about sending um, sort of the firing shots before you send the cannonball out. Right. The, the whole idea of if you're in a complex environment and and there's no clarity in terms of which way to go, then then do smaller experiments um, before you sort of put your big budget all behind your one big cannonball. Yeah. So the really successful companies are using that as a innovation uh, strategy yeah. rather than the old-fashioned way where we'd put millions behind a product launch and then we would launch it and yeah, and surprise, surprise, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I, I I know that personally, I've uh, in a professional context, I've done that myself many a time, and and it, uh, I'm a bit of a slow learner, and I of late have adopted a kind of lean methodology where you you know you do smaller iterations of things, you do it quite quickly, it's low risk, but it's done at pace, and what it means is that you're not you're not developing something in absence of the context in which you're going to use it, <laughs> mm. um, and and you build it out you know quickly but but in small bits um and check that it's fit for purpose and i i guess what you're saying is is not too dissimilar from that i think it it just makes us more agile that we're learning as we're going and if you're doing multiple experiments but on a smaller scale um it it means that your products are much better developed and they hit market rather than just building this monster and and then, and then if it hits the market, it might be right and it might be wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. And 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 so and, and that that is also true personally, right? So that you and when you're talking about being courageous, that you you know try little experiments yourself, uh, little bits at a time, and you know take the feedback, reflect, find those pause moments to reflect on how it went. So you could, I love that language of experimenting, and I, and I think it's very much it's very much of the moment as well. I'm, I'm mindful of time, but can I can I just ask you for a very short insight into a brief insight into the importance of relationships in teams? Because I often get leaders say to me, you know, I don't want to be their mate, you know, but I don't want to be their best buddy. Um, and whereas others think it's really important. Interestingly enough, often the, the team themselves will say. You know, I like the fact that, you know, this particular leader treats me as a human being and we've got a warm kind of relationship. What's your, where do you stand on the importance of relationship in building a really effective team? Because I, I do appreciate there's kind of varying views on it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question in that, um, sorry, going back to the rowing analogy is that hmm. people said in the Olympic crew, they said we don't have to necessarily like every single one of our crew members, but we do need to respect them. Mm. And I think sometimes if everybody loves each other in the team, it can be quite quite constraining um, in that people are then nervous to step out of the team dynamic. And I I think it's important that as long as people feel respected and that it's fair across the team, 
they are going to, I think as a team leader, they're always going to be people that resonate better with you than others. But I think you have to be conscious that your responsibility is to manage the whole team and to be respectful of everyone on the team and to sort of search out value in each team member, independent of whether they're friends or not. Um, and I think the friendship develops if you if you start from a basis of respect and fairness. I think the friendship builds over time. I'm, I'm not a big believer of being sort of big mates early on because it, it also blurs the boundaries of um, what is my responsibility and what am I accountable for. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really helpful distinction. So that distinction between kind of respect and they don't have to be mutually exclusive, do they? But there is something about respect first and then build the, you know, and, and often I would guess on the boat, for example, the, the fact that you were in quite extreme conditions. I can think of teams that I was on, you know, that went through kind of extreme um, situations. What, what I learned was, was referred to often as crucible experiences. You know, there can be a bonding that goes on at that point but even then you know you come out the other end and it wasn't necessarily that you liked everybody but you really super respected their ability to you know to work their way through a really tough call um mm. it's it's an interesting dynamic I, i'm i'm not I, I do worry about teams that are a bit friendly in part for the reasons that you've that you've said and on the flip side of course where the dynamic really breaks down there's not even that minimum level of interaction or friendliness let's say or warmth um, that can be an issue too. Look, I, there's, this is, it's been an absolutely brilliant. I, I, I think we could spend about, oh, I don't know, another four or five hours on it, frankly, Sue, but I am mindful that, <laughs> um, you know, you've got things to do. You're a busy, you're a busy woman. Uh, this is a question that, that I, again, we ask everybody at the end of the, the, the conversations, which is you've given us so much value there. There are so many tips. There's so much insight for leaders to take away. I know this seems a bit reductionist, but, if you were going to, to recommend one thing for leaders to focus on where they're going to get their biggest bang for their buck in terms of developing effective teamwork, what overall, over and above all would you recommend that people focus on? I would say to be kinder to themselves, which I know seems not, not the most obvious choice. And I think team leaders are often so focused on their team that they, they don't take time out to think about the impact on themselves. And I think it's really important to, to take time to sort of look after yourself and because you, you can't be there for your team if you're not there for yourself. And I saw it on the sailing race where the skip, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, the skippers were, absolutely exhausted not eating or living on a, a diet of you know coffee and cigarettes and it's not sustainable so the skippers that made it through were the ones that understood that they needed support from the team just as much as the team needed support from them mm-hmm. um, and I think we, um, we tend to beat ourselves up quite badly if we're in leadership roles and I think we need to learn when we make the mistakes, but we also need to forgive ourselves along the way. Well, 
we started on a surprise answer and we finished on a surprise <laughs> answer, which was which was absolutely um, sort of typical of the of the podcast interview. So it's been absolutely well, brilliant way to finish. Thank you very much. I just want to say personally um, a big thank you for finding some time uh, to come and chat with us. And I know um, on behalf of the audience, they'll have taken an awful lot away. So from us all, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope that we might better do this again at some point. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you for the privilege. It's been great fun. Great stuff. Take care, Sue. Cheers. Yeah, you too. Thanks for joining us on this week's Success ID podcast. Make sure to visit our website at www.successid.co.uk so that you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. If you enjoyed this podcast, then keep up to date on our social media for other Success ID related content. Thanks again to Dr. Sue Fontenaz for joining us on this week's podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next show.